Father Yahweh, we come before you. We thank you so much for the wonderful blessings you've bestowed upon each one here. We thank you for a great feast thus far. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the blessings. We thank you for the recent baptism. We thank you for all that you've done in the lives of those here. We pray that you would be with us always, that we would always strive to follow you, that we would put you first, that we would always devote our lives to you, that we would never forsake you. And Father, we pray that the words spoken today would be a blessing and that they would help us and encourage us and enlighten us according to your word. And we ask this according to, to uh, your truth and in the name of your Son and our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I'd like to um, again welcome everybody here. I pray that you're having a blessed feast. You may notice my voice is maybe a little bit um, different today. Last week, my uh, daughters were kind enough to share their sickness with me just a few days before the feast. And um, with that, I normally have allergies, and, and uh, I do a lot, of, as you can imagine, lots of talking, lots of questions and whatnot during the feast, so I think we'll get through it. Now, this message is, um, generally, I don't get real excited for a lot of messages, but it, you know, I was excited to, um, to uh, prepare for this. Because I've always been fascinated with the angelic realm. I've never uh, spoken on this topic. So this will be part two of uh, my message, Shedding Light on the Angelic Realm. Now, in my last message, we looked at some general characteristics, really just to set a foundation of what we're going to do today, and uh, including things like their existence. You know, we talked about they're not eternal, their appearance, their knowledge, their purpose, and, and much more into the first message. Today, we're going to really uh, deviate from this and look at different types of angels within Scripture and what we find within not only the Bible, but also Judaism. Now, I'm going to sort of, um, sort of put a disclaimer there. When speaking about Judaism, much of what we're going to read about today is, is a purely rabbinic. Some is, some is even mystic from the uh, Kabbalah, and we don't believe in the Kabbalah. We don't advocate the Kabbalah. But, you know, I think it's kind of important and intriguing to understand not only from the Bible, which we're going to really focus on today, the Bible predominantly, but we're going to look also at how Judaism defines this hierarchy of angels and so get some insight from a... From them. So, one more thing here, depending on who you refer to within Judaism, depends on the conjecture, depends on, on the list. Not all rabbis, as you can imagine, agree on uh, this list of angelic beings. So, uh, today we're going to focus on a man known as Maimonides. And uh, here's a list a list of angelic beings that he has defined within Judaism. So he begins by, number one is a, this Kayot uh, HaKodesh. Uh, the second was and is uh, defined as Ophanim, Erelim, Hashmalim, Seraphim, Malachim. Malachim you probably recognize. That is actually the Hebrew word for angel, messenger, Malachim. I actually brought one up with me, but thank you. Normally try to come prepared. So uh, Malachim, again, name for angel. Elohim, of course, we should all recognize Elohim. And then we have Ben Elohim. What is Ben Elohim? Ben Elohim is son of Elohim. Uh, cherubim. We're going to talk a lot about cherubim today. And uh, Ishim. Ishim. Now, some of these may be angelic beings, like Elohim. I'm not going to really delve into that today, but Elohim simply means mighty one or mighty ones. Uh, we know scripturally that Elohim is also used um, in reference to angels. We find that in Psalm, uh, Psalms, for instance. Uh, so Elohim can designate angels, but it it's not a specific type of angel, if you will. So let's um, dig a little bit deeper. But for, for a moment, for those not familiar with this Maimonides, who is this man? Or his uh, birth name was uh, Moses ben Maimon. He lived in the 12th century. He was a Sephardic Jew, a Sephardic philosopher. He was considered one of the greatest Torah rabbis uh, during his time, which was, again, in the Middle Ages. And as we see here, part of his uh, study included this um, hierarchy of angels, this understanding of layers of angelic beings. Now, as I've already mentioned today, some of what we're going to review today is uh, more rabbinic in nature. And when I say rabbinic, this is basically Jewish tradition. It's, it's not something we can really authenticate or confirm through Scripture. And uh, also even mystic, because so much of this knowledge of angels comes from a work called the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah is a mystic work that the Jews have developed, uh, again, I'm not endorsing the Kabbalah, not even encouraging you to, to uh, re read the Kabbalah. But when it comes to angels, much of their um, information does derive from the uh, Kabbalah along with their rabbinic tradition. So I want to take a look at each one of these. And uh, we're going to begin with the first 
angel or class of angels here, this Kayot HaKodesh. And this is from uh, learnreligions.org, Angel Types in Judaism is the uh, title, if you want to go and and do some research beyond this. But uh, Kayot HaKodesh, it says the first and highest type of angels is called Kayot HaKodesh, and uh, Ha is a definite article, the, the Kodesh, the holy. They are known for their enlightenment, and uh, they're responsible for holding up G.O.D.'s throne, and also for holding earth in its proper position in space. Now, again, there's nothing in Scripture that conveys this. There's nothing that uh, mentions these uh, items. This is rabbinic. Uh, the Kayot HaKodesh emanate such powerful light that they often appear fiery. And that's something we're going to talk about today, something I've never really noticed until this message we often see fire, the appearance of fire, in connection with the angelic realm. It's very um, fascinating. It uh, goes on to say the famous angel Memetron leads the Kayot HaKodesh, according to the mystical branch of uh, Judaism known as Kabbalah. So again, there's the reference to Kabbalah. Again, much of the information that they understand within Judaism derives from the Kabbalah. Again, we're not advocating the Kabbalah. I'm not endorsing it, and I'm not even encouraging that we read it. But again, this is where it derives from. So the next um, class is called Ophanim. This is actually something we do find in Scripture. We will talk about later in this message. It's not called Ophanim within the English. There's nothing that would convey this, but in the Hebrew there is a word called Ophan. It means will. So uh, members of the Ophanim rank of angels never sleep because they're constantly busy guarding Judy's throne in heaven. You know, there is, it is interesting. Many of the angels are directly connected to the worship of Yahweh, and we'll see that as we go through this message. Their name comes from the Hebrew word Ophan, which means will, due to the Torah's description of them in Ezekiel chapter 1, which we'll look at in depth, uh, as having their spirits encased within and side wills that moved along with them wherever they went. In Kabbalah, the famous archangel Raziel leads the Ophanim. So again, there's nothing in Scripture that speaks about this Raziel or this, um, or this class of angels specifically. Uh, beyond the uh, Hebrew word. So Erelim, this is another angelic being, doesn't say a whole lot here. These angels are known for their courage and understanding. The famous archangel Zap, uh, Zapkiel uh, leads Erelim in uh, Kabbalah. So I'm not going to say much more. To my knowledge, there's nothing really scripturally um, rooted with these uh, angelic beings. Another one is Hashmalim. Again, this is a, based on Judaism, based on the uh, Kabbalah, based on rabbinic literature. The uh, Hashbalim are known for their love, kindness, and grace. The famous archangel Zadkiel leads the angelic rank. According to Kabbalah, Zadkiel is thought to be the angel of the LORD, which we don't agree with that. We believe that the angel of the LORD, or the angel of Yahweh more precisely, correctly, is um, Yahshua the Messiah in his preexistence. goes on to say, who shows merciful kindness in Genesis chapter 22 of the Torah when the prophet Abraham is preparing the sacrifice for his son Isaac. Seraphim. Now, this is something we do find in Scripture. We're going to talk a little bit about this, quite a bit about this. Seraphim are specifically um, spelled out. It says, Seraphim angels are known for their work for justice. Kabbalah says that the famous archangel uh, Chamiel uh, leads a seraphim. The Torah records a vision that the prophet Isaiah had a seraphim angels near Geodian heaven. So we do see the uh, reference to a seraphim within Scripture, and this is a different class of angels. Malachim. Members of the Malachim rank of angels are known for their beauty and mercy. In Kabbalah, famous Archangel Raphael leads the class of angels. Malachim simply means messenger. All angels are Malachim, and uh, we find that here. Elohim, we're all familiar again with the term Elohim. Uh, Angels, it says, from the source, angels within the Elohim are known for their commitment to the victory of good over evil. The famous Archangel Haniel leads the Elohim, according to Kabbalah. I I don't believe for a moment that there's a class called Elohim, for, for the record, uh, Elohim, again, is a very generic term, simply means exalted one or, or mighty ones, if you will. And uh, we know that Elohim, though, does reference angels, but it simply references angels in the respect that they are a mighty one or they are above human beings. That's, that's, that's really it. Okay. Ben Elohim, sons of Elohim. Of course, we know this is also scriptural, sons of Elohim. We see this in Job. Uh, the Ben Elohim, or sons of Elohim, focus their work on giving glory to G.O.D. Kabbalah says that the famous archangel Michael leads this angelic rank. Of course, we know Michael. We're going to talk about Michael as we go through this message. Michael is mentioned in major religious texts more than any other named angel. It's really fascinating. He, he's a very um, well-known angel. It says, and he is often shown as a warrior who fights for what's right to bring glory to G.O.D. Daniel 12, verse 21 of the Torah describes Michael as the great prince. 
the great prince. So there's something indeed very special about this Michael, who will protect Judy's people even during the struggle between good and evil at the end of the world. So again, Ben Elohim, sons of Elohim. I don't believe for a moment that Michael is over the Ben or sons of Elohim, but certainly Michael does exist, and, and he is a very distinct and important angel. Cherubim. Cherubim. We're going to talk a whole lot about cherubim today. It's not the little fat little babies that you see with wings. This is not what we find in Scripture. It says that cherubim angels are known for their work, helping people deal with sin that separates them from Judy so that they can draw closer to Judy. The famous archangel Gabriel leads a cherubim, according to Kabbalah. Again, nothing in Scripture says that Gabriel leads a cherubim, but we do know that cherubim exist. As a matter of fact, there's, as we'll see, cherubim is not always depicted in the same way. Cherubim angels appear on the Torah's account of what happened with after humans brought sin into the world while, the garden of, uh, while in the Garden of Eden. We'll see an example of that specifically. Last one here is Ishim. Uh, the Ishim rank of angels is the closest level of human beings. Members of the Ishim focus on building G.O.D.'s kingdom on earth. In Kabbalah, their leaders is a famous archangel, Zandafen. So again, this is something, uh, as far as I know, is completely um, made up within Judaism, within uh, the rabbinic tradition. So I want to move on now and talk about what the Bible actually says about angels. We have a better understanding of how Judaism views angels, and some of this is certainly scriptural. Some of this is in the Bible. Some of this we're going to review today, and much of it is not. Now, you might be surprised. I'm going to start with a uh, being that you might not suspect, and that being is Satan the devil. I want to begin today talking about Satan the devil because we know that Satan the devil was, a, was an angel, or he is an angel, but he was a very important angel with very important attributes. Now, Ezekiel 28, beginning there in verse 12, we find a description of, of um, this, this being, Satan the devil. Now, for the record, I don't believe that he was probably called Satan the devil. Satan means adversary. I believe that he received this name after his rebellion. What his name was, I don't believe anybody really knows. But he was certainly an important angel. So Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19 says this, Son of man, speaking to Ezekiel here, take up a lamentation or a warning upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus says my sovereign Yahweh, that sealeth up the sum full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, that hath been in Eden, the garden of Elohim. Now again, this is a description we believe of Satan the devil, so pay attention to what we find here. It says, Every stone, precious stone, was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of the tabrets and the pipes were prepared in the, in the day that thou wast created. So we see that he was created. Thou art the anointed cherub. Notice that. He's a cherub. That covereth. And I've set thee so thou wast upon the holy mount of Elohim. Thou hast walked up and down the mist or the middle of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the mist of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of Elohim, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. From the mist of the stones of fire, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground, and I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. They ask to file thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and shall never shalt thou be anymore. Now, I believe that this example is what I call a dual prophecy. Dual meaning part of this refers to the king of Tyrus, which was a very real king historically, and also part to Satan the devil. You know, what's intriguing about this passage is the description we find before and after the fall of Satan. It says here, it begins by describing Satan how? It begins by describing Satan as this uh, being full of wisdom, perfect, and beauty. Now, for those familiar with Satan, which I believe we all are, these are not the attributes we would suspect. These are not the attributes we would consider when thinking about the evil one. 
But as we see here at one point, he was wise. He had understanding and wisdom, and he was beautiful to look upon. You know, when you think about the fact that he deceived the third part of all the angels, it makes sense that he would have had these grand attributes, that he was, that he was something special, that he was something very special, something very deceptive. You know, we even see in the New Testament that he described Satan as an angel of light. You know, so many people, they think of angel, this, this uh, devil figure with horns coming out of his head in this, this red jumpsuit. And, and again, there, there's no, no truth to this. We don't see this in Scripture. And we also see here that he was where? He was, it says, in the Garden of Elohim. Now, was this a Garden of Eden? I kind of believe it probably was. But it says a Garden of Elohim and that every precious stone was his covering. You know, as a side note, the, the stones mentioned here, now, there's more stones on the breastplate, but every stone we find here is mentioned as being on the breastplate that was on the high priest. So there, there's something very special about these stones. We also see here that Satan the devil is identified as a cherub. This is anointed cherub. Now, for me, this is a big deal. You know, later in this message, we're going to talk extensively about cherubim or cherubs. And as you'll learn, cherubim is a very special class of angels, it's, it's funny, the um, list that we see through Judaism, they, they generally rank cherubim as pretty low. Well, I don't see that in Scripture. I think cherubim are ranked, are, are ranked very high scripturally. We also see evidence again here that Satan was created. You know, at one point, it's important to remember that the Bible says that only the Father existed. Yahweh and Yahweh alone has immortality. Son was never, has not always existed. Satan has not always existed. The only one that is eternity in the true sense is a father. Now, what happened to Satan to um, cause his fall from grace? What was the cause of, of his fall? It says here that, that iniquity, iniquity was found in him. Now, what was the reason for this iniquity? When verse 17, I'm going to read that one more time. Verse 17 says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. You know, ironically, it was Satan's wisdom. It was his beauty. It was these um, grand attributes that corrupted him. He allowed his heart to become prideful. And as we see in Isaiah 14 as well, he wanted to assert Yahweh's own authority. And Yahweh removed him from this position. You know, real quickly here as believers, this is a lesson for us. You know, we should always seek after humility. I believe, believe that humility is one of the most important attributes for us. You know, I often bring up Moses. So many people, they think Yahweh's leaders are always these real strong leaders, these warriors. And Moses, he wasn't a strong warrior. He wasn't even, even a great speaker, as we find through Scripture. But the one attribute that Yahweh could work with is it says that he was more meek than any other man. That's why he was chosen, one of the greatest men in the history of Yahweh's word, and he was chosen because of is humility, not because he was a great orator, not because he was a great warrior, not because he was a great motivator, but he was a great man in meekness. Well, let's move on now and talk about another angel that would uh, serve as a major nemesis to Satan the devil, and that is Michael the archangel. This is really fascinating. I, I just What we see here with Michael is just uh, amazing. So in Daniel 10, starting in verse 4, we find an amazing encounter between a messenger a prince of Persia, and Michael the archangel. So let's read about this. Daniel chapter 10, and this is 8 through 14. It says, Therefore I was left alone, says Daniel, and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. There was all but too much for Daniel, this vision. Says, yet heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. You know, wouldn't that be great, by the way, that, that Yahweh would, would call us greatly beloved or recognize? Yeah, I believe that's possible if we really devote our lives to him. Goes on to say, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee I am now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood 
trembling. He was afraid. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day thou, that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten myself, thyself before thy Elohim, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. Below Michael, one of the chief princesses, came to help me. And I remained there with the king of per- kings of Persia. <clears throat> now I am come to make thee <clears throat> understand what shall befall the people of the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. So we find here an angel delivering a message to Daniel the prophet. You know, what's intriguing to me is the fact that the messenger was restrained. It says here that the messenger was restrained for 21 days with this prince of Persia. And I believe that the prince of Persia here is likely a fallen angel, evidently one of great power and strength. Now, how was this messenger finally able to uh, break loose and communicate to Daniel the prophet? We see here that Michael the archangel came. That Michael the archangel came, removed this roadblock, this prince of Persia, so that then this angel could come and deliver his prophetic message to Daniel the prophet. You know, this provides us with a glimpse of the angelic realm, I believe. Just as we have conflict and war, I believe we see the same thing within the angelic realm. The same conflict and strife that we have here we see in the spiritual realm. We also see evidence that there are other archangels similar to Michael, although I will say Scripture seems to give Michael a very high ranking within the angelic realm. I believe that he is set apart in many ways. Now we see another example of Michael in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. It says there, there and there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels. Now notice that it says his, his angels, his angels. Now we know that they're Yahweh's angels, of course, but, but it's almost as if these angels are assigned to Michael, right? That's how I interpret that. That's how I understand that. Michael and his angels, they, they belong to him because he's over these, these angels. Fought against the dragon, the, and the dragon fought in his angels. So those angels belonged to Satan and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. You know, as you can imagine, there are many views to this passage Some say it's symbolic, some say it's literal, some say it's future, some say it's past. So we really don't know. I believe it's literal. I believe it's literally speaking about this um, cosmic battle between Satan, his angels, and Michael and his angels. Now, whether this is uh, past or present, I kind of lean towards this being past, already happening, already occurring. But it could be future. I think it's one of those things I've seen in scholarship and many, many um, different interpretations of this uh, going both ways. You know, for me, though, what's important is this. What's important is that we see uh, this conflict between Satan the devil and his angels and also between Michael and his angels. Now, as we saw in Daniel, we see Michael once again withstanding and also, in this case, defeating Satan the devil. Now, think about that for just a moment. We know that Satan is a very high-ranking angel. Again, he was an anointed cherub within the Garden of Elohim. And obviously, he is an angel of great strength to do what he did and do what he does today. But we find here that Michael, too, is a being of great strength because not only is he able to uh, counter, but he is able to defeat Satan the devil. Now, just real quickly, I want to mention another angel by name, and that is Gabriel. We're not going to focus on Gabriel today, but I will make mention of him. And unlike Gabriel, Michael, or unlike Michael, Gabriel does not appear as an angelic warrior. So this is where angels serve different reasons or purposes. Instead, he's a messenger. We find him providing prophetic messages in, in Daniel, and this is uh, chapters 8 and 9. And also to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and also Mary, the mother of Joshua, and that's found in Luke 1. So Daniel is found in Daniel uh, chapter 8 and 9, and also in Luke 1. Gabriel, Gabriel the um, messenger. So as we see from Scripture, while Michael and Gabriel, they're both archangels, we know that, but they don't serve the same roles. They serve very different roles. And I, you know, just as um, we see different roles within the, this realm, within, within, our, within the world, I think we see much the same within the uh, spiritual realm. I want to tr- transition and talk about cherubim. Cherubim, Genesis uh, 3, verse 24. This is the uh, first reference to a cherubim. 
And it says, so he drove out the man, and of course we know this was because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and he placed on the east of the garden of Elohim cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So in this passage, we see that after the sin of Adam and Eve, to prevent them from coming back and eating of the garden or the tree of life, we find that Yahweh placed a cherubim with a flaming sword to prevent this from happening. Now, on the slide here, and um, you see an illustration of two cherubims or two cherubs. As a side note, the word, uh, the, the, the I am within cherubim at the end, that's plural. So cherub is singular, cherubim is, is uh, plural. Now, beyond what we see here, what else do we know about cherubim? What do we see in Scripture? Because I'm not going to look at every single Scripture. There's, there's a lot said about cherubim. So I'll just sort of give you a review of what we find in Scripture about cherubim. In Exodus 25 and 37, we find the cherubim were placed on the mercy seat that sat upon the Ark of the Covenant. In 2 Samuel 22, 11, and Psalms 18, verse 10, David describes Yahweh, which is really intriguing, is riding on a cherub. 1 Kings 6 and 2 Chronicles 3, we find that Solomon had images of cherubim within the temple. In Ezekiel 9, verse 3, we find that Yahweh's glory rising from a cherub. So we find uh, this, this connection between uh, Yahweh's glory, his presence, and cherub or cherubim. In Ezekiel 10, verse 2, Ezekiel is told to gather coals of fire between the cherub, cherubim. As we saw already in Exodus 28, verse 14, Satan was once an anointed cherub within the garden of Elohim. And lastly, in Ezekiel 41, verse 18, we find there that cherubim will again be within the temple, will be used to uh, decorate the temple within the millennial kingdom. So from these examples, what do we learn about cherubim where we see that they hold a very special position within the angelic realm? We see that their images were used within Solomon's temple, will be used again in, in the millennial temple. It also appears that they have wings to fly and that Yahweh's presence rides in some way upon these uh, cherubim. And again, as we see in Exodus or Ezekiel 28, Satan was a cherub that rebelled and, and lost that grand position. Now, beyond this, there's a lot of speculation within Christianity and also Judaism as, as to what and who cherubim are and, and who rules over cherubim. I do believe they probably have an angel over them, but I don't think Scripture provides that insight to us. You know, as we know, uh, when it comes to uh, much within Judaism and Christianity, there's a lot of tradition. And that's one of the things, matter of fact, I was talking to somebody about that, this feast. You know, one of the things I believe that sort of separates this ministry is that we don't, we, we don't try to follow either tradition. You know, some people, they leave um, nominal worship and, and they, uh, they, they're, they're very intrigued with Judaism. So, so they think Judaism is the truth. Well, the problem is Judaism has as much uh, tradition as, as Christianity does. And um, I, I, think, I believe a believer should be somewhere in the middle. I don't believe that we should gravitate towards Judaism. And I don't believe that we should gravitate towards Christianity. I believe that we should be living according to what the Bible says, which, which sadly is not what we find within either faith. I want to move on now and talk about another angelic being, and that is a seraphim. See an example of this in Isaiah 6, 2 through 4. It says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, which... Uh, with twain or two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. So some say that angels can't fly, or not all angels um, can perhaps fly, but we see some angels that can fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And uh, here's an image, and again, I sort of, this is just an image of the seraphim. We really don't know what they look like exactly, but sort of give you an idea of what they may look like. Probably the most obvious thing about these uh, beings is they have six wings. Six here, that two would cover their face, two would fly, and then with two, they would cover their feet. Now, why six wings? Why six wings? Or again, Scripture doesn't say, so this is kind of unknown. You know, some scholars say that the wings have symbolic meaning, that they have some symbolic value. Maybe this is a case. You know, some say that the wings covering the face symbolizes humility. The wings covering the uh, feet would represent reverence. And maybe, they, maybe it does. Maybe it does. But whatever the case might be, we see here that they are very special. 
and unique within the angelic realm. Now, this is the only reference to seraphim we find within Scripture. It's only mentioned once here in Isaiah. Based on this one example, to me, it appears that these seraphim are really, uh, they, they exist to honor and recognize the holiness of Yahweh. You know, in this prophecy, we find them crying out. And uh, they say, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. Now, you know, we see in the Old Testament that, that when a word or phrase, it, it, we find it in a few places, when it's repeated three times, it's normally done for emphasis. I'll give you some examples. In, in um, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4, it says this, Trust you not on lying words, saying the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh are these. You see, he wanted to emphasize the temple, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 22, verse 29 says, O earth, 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 hear the word of Yahweh, emphasizing this, this message to the people. And the last one here is Ezekiel 21, verse 27. It says, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. So again, is is talking about the retribution, the punishment. I'm going to overturn it. I'm going to overturn it, this, this emphasis. I want to now talk about one of the most perplexing prophecies we find within the word. Matter of fact, it's so perplexing, many Jews warn about reading and, and, and trying to really understand this. And we see an explanation in Barnes' notes for this. I want to read this uh, commentary. It says, the exposition of the fundamental principles of the existence and nature of the supreme G.O.D. and of the created angels are called by the rabbis a matter of the chariot. In reference to the forms of Ezekiel's vision of the Almighty and the subject was deemed so mysterious as to call for special caution in his study. I thought that was kind of interesting, that the Jews, they, they really emphasize this concern when looking at Ezekiel 1 because it is so mysterious. And, and believe me when I say, there's so many different prophecies and so many different, um, or not prophecies, but, but depictions and illustrations and concepts and, and just views on, on what this is and how it may, may have um, may have looked. So I want to go through this um, passage, and uh, we're going to read in total Ezekiel um, 1, 4 through um, 28 here, but I'm going to read a little bit, then we'll discuss it, we'll look at it. So I don't have this on the slide. If you want to follow me with me, you can, or you can just simply listen. But um, we're going to read Ezekiel 1, and um, we're going to begin by... uh, 4 through 14. So verse 4 begins, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north. For where does Yahweh's abode reside? It's in the north, right? That's what Scripture says. A great cloud and fire, there it is, that reference to fire, this connection. Enfolding itself and a brightness was about it. And of the mist thereof, as a color of amber, out of the mist of the fire. Also out of the mist thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. Now we're going to discuss, but these are cherubim, the four living creatures. And it was, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings, on their four sides. And their four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, their four had the face of a man the face of a lion, on the right side the face, uh, and, and, and they four had the face of an ox, and on the left side they four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings on every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straightway forward, Whither the spirit would to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. 
As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright. So notice just all the references here to fire. I never noticed that. All the different references to fire, the appearance of fire, fire, it says. The fire was bright, verse 13, and out of the fire went forth lightning. In verse 14, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. So in this passage, we find here four living creatures. Now in Ezekiel 10, verse 20, it identifies these living creatures as the cherubim. I want to read that for just a moment. It says there in Ezekiel 10, verse 20, this is a living creature that I saw under the Elohim of Israel. And we'll see why it says under the Elohim of Israel. This builds up to this pinnacle. It says under the river Chabar, Kibar, and I knew that they were the cherubims. So Ezekiel here says that these living creatures, he says he knows who these beings are. And he says that these beings are the cherubims. Now, one of the differences between the cherubims here and the cherubims in Genesis 3 is the number of wings. The cherubim in Genesis 3, we find two wings. The cherubim here, we find three, or um, I'm sorry, uh, four wings. So why the um, different number of wings? Or we don't know. But we do see, based on this uh, passage, that a cherubim evidently can have different number of wings. Two, four, maybe more, who knows? Beyond this, what, what are some of the other characteristics we find here? In verse 5, it says that they had the appearance of a man. You know, I believe that this refers to their general stature, how they stood, how they appeared. It also says here that they had four faces, one face of a man, one face of a lion, one face of an ox, and one face of an eagle. Now, this is, um, there, there's a lot of debate here. A lot of debate. Mainly the debate is, is this literal? Is this figurative? Is, is this symbolic? Is this actually what we're seeing? And, and you know, the, the, and it's okay, by the way, to have different opinions on this. I, I tend to look at this literal. I, 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 I believe that this is probably literally referring and describing this, this creature. Now, some say that the faces have symbolic value. Maybe they do. But again, I tend to look at these uh, this, uh, these uh, creatures or these faces is literal and that they actually have four faces and, and uh, the, these wings that we find with these, um, these uh, cherubim. You know, if indeed these are real, you know, the, the diversity we find here is just amazing. You know, think about it. I mean, try to, try to imagine in your mind looking at one of these uh, cherubim, one of these uh, living creatures, as the scripture says, and multiple faces, multiple wings, and a brightness, it's like fire. So what else do we see here? It says that their color was like burnished brass. Now this is also something we see. This is a very strong pattern we find with Scripture with um, angelic beings. I'm not going to turn there, but in Revelation 1, we find a depiction of Yahshua in his glorified state. And um, there in Revelation 1, we see that, that, that his presence is described as brass that is burned in the furnace. So just as we see brass here with these uh, cherubim, these, these living creatures, we find in Revelation that the, the same depiction, the same language, the same symbology is used to describe Yahshua the Messiah as divine or as glorified state. So there's something very special about this concept of burnished brass, I believe, in the angelic realm. Something bright that shines, this glorious nature. As we continue here, we're going to see something even more mysterious, maybe the most mysterious thing we're going to find in this uh, message, and that is this concept of, of what the Jews call the Ophanim. So I want to read this, uh, and this is going to be um, starting in verse 15, and uh, we're going to read down to uh, verse uh, 24. So verse 15 to verse uh, 24. It says, Now as I behold the living creatures, again the cherubim, behold one will upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces... The appearance of the wills and their work was like unto the color of a barrel, and their four had one likeness in their appearance, and their work was as it were a will in the middle of a will. When they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes. Round about them, 
4. Isn't that an amazing? I just stopped there for just a moment. Can you imagine seeing these uh, beings, these wills within wills on the rims? They're full of eyes, and they're high, so high. It says here that they were dreadful, they were terrible, they were just, um, you know, I, can you imagine being Ezekiel standing and envisioning these, this, this, this uh, vision? I, I think he was just blown away. Verse 19, it says, when the, four, the, the living creatures went, the wills went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wills were lifted up. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Whither, thither was their spirit to go, and the wills were lifted up and uh, over against them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wills. So we see here that, that there was something within the spirit. So these are living creatures. Verse 21, then these went, they went, and when they stood, they stood. And when those were lift, lifted up from the earth, the wills were lifted up over against them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wills. And the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creatures was the color of the terrible crystal stretched forth over the hands of heads above. And under, under the firmament were their wings straight, the one toward the other. Every one had two, which covered on the side, and every one had two, which covered on that side their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of the wings like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty. I, I find that very, very um, interesting, this concept of the voice of the Almighty. The speech as the noise of a host of an army is what that is conveying. Host is army. When they stood, they sat down their wings. And there was a voice from the mist, uh, from the firmament that was above their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. So I want to stop there and talk about what we see. So in this passage, for me, this is one of the most mysterious uh, beings, prophecy we find within Scripture. You know, as, as you can imagine, there's many, many different images, again, many different ideas as to what these things look like. Uh, some, I've even seen some who uh, believe in UFOs and proponents of UFOs, they, they will often use this as evidence for UFOs. And, of course, I'm not um, advocating UFOs nor, no, no more than I'm advocating the Kabbalah. But I think we would all agree that the Im imagery we find here is not of this world. It is, it is something amazing. It is something spectacular. It is something profound. So what, do we, what else do we see here? We see that the four living creatures, or the cherubim, that they are connected with the ophanim. And keep in mind that this is what it is. It's the ophanim. It's these wills within the wills. You know, for me, this is one of the most mysterious beings we find in Scripture. You know, how do, um, you know by the way, how, how do wills within wills, how do they go multiple directions? Let's say that they go forward, but you know, they, they have to go multiple directions. How, how do they do that without turning? Or again, verse 17 says, when they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. You know, some say that since they have four sides, or they just go straight. They don't really turn, though. And it's just a, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure, again, that when Ezekiel saw this, he was just blown away. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you even, you know, if, if you were the one uh, receiving this vision, how would you convey this? Yeah. I've never heard that. I have heard helicopter for another vision, but not this one here. But it must have been just, again, phenomenal for, uh, for what Ezekiel saw here. Now, we also see a connection, again, between these uh, living creatures and the wills of the Ophanim. It says here that, that the uh, living creatures, that the, the, their spirit was within the Ophanim. In fact, in verse 21, it says, again, that their spirit, the spirit of the living creatures, was within the wills. So, for me, this tells me two things. Number one, there's a connection between the, the cherubim and the Ophanim. But it also tells me that the Yophanim were spirit beings of some type. They are not just, um, I mean, they, they, they are living beings. They are, they are angelic beings. Now, I want to point out one more thing about these wills. We sort of talked about it. Verse 18, we find that within the wills that there was a rim. And within the rim, the rim was, was full of eyes. And um, 
And again, I'm not going to try to even guess as to what this was or looked like. But um, I do believe that there were, there were probably eyes. Again, I, I sort of look at these things literal. Could I be wrong? Yeah, I could be wrong. Uh, nobody knows for sure. But um, I think too often do we try to, do we try to um, give a, a symbolic, symbolic application and, uh, and ignore the um, obvious uh, literal application. I want to refer back. I, I've already run through this, but uh, the opening, this is again from the uh, source we saw earlier in the opening. So here's what it says again about the opening. It says that members of the opening rank as angels that never sleep. It doesn't say that here. We don't know that. Uh, because they're constantly be, uh, busy guarding Judy's throne in heaven. They are known for their wisdom. Their name comes from the Hebrew Ophan. And that's why they're called Ophanim, because that's the, that's the uh, Hebrew word for will. So that's where they get this uh, name. So it means will. Do the uh, Torah's description of them in Ezekiel chapter 1 as having their spirits encased inside wills that moved. Uh, along with them, whether they went and Kabbalah again, the famous archangel Raziel leads the Ophanim. And again, we're not supporting or endorsing the Kabbalah. You know, much of this, I, I'd say probably most of this, you know, besides the fact that they're mentioned in Ezekiel 1 is probably not right, but it's from the uh, rabbinic tradition, rabbinic thought, and also from the Kabbalah. Now, we can only speculate what this looked like. I, I looked um, far and wide <laughs> to, to uh, find an uh, image that I felt did this justice, and I don't think any image is going to do this justice, but I think um, this comes as close as um, any image I could find, and I, could, I guess I could have used some of the images of UFOs that I found when um, looking for the opening, but I, I just can't believe that it, it was something just profound to Ezekiel. And um, I think when we see this, if we're found worthy of the resurrection, it's going to be profound to us too. And I think Yahweh's angelic realm is just such a spectacular realm. And, and uh, we can only just um, scratch the surface, just the tip of the iceberg. I don't believe we can ever fully understand it within this life. Well, I'm going to finish this prophecy here. Ezekiel uh, chapter um, 26, verse 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. And uh, we're going to read uh, through 28. So it says, Above the firmament that was over the heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber as the appearance of a fire. There it is again, this, this concept of fire. Round about within it from the appearance of his loins even upward. And from the appearance of his loins even downward I see as it were the appearance of fire and it was brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. So we see here that above the cherubim, so above the cherubim, and we see here sort of in this image, it, it somewhat depicts this. We see the wills within the wills in this image. We see the cherubim, and, and above this cherubim, we see this, this almost um, uh, crystal um, layer, this podium, if you will. And on this, it says that there is an appearance of an image of a man and a throne, a throne. Now it says here that the image was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. Now, I want to spend a few moments speaking about this likeness. This is from the Hebrew word demuth, demuth. And according to Strong's, refers to, quote, a resemblance, concretely model, shape it verbally like. So that's how strong. So it basically means a resemblance. So I'm going to remove likeness, and let's read this with resemblance. So it is a resemblance of the glory of Yahweh. So that's what it's conveying in the Hebrew, a resemblance of the glory of Yahweh. You know, for me... The fact that it's a resemblance, it's a likeness, shows me that it is not Yahweh the Father, because Yahweh the Father is not a resemblance of himself. This is a resemblance of his glory. Now, so with this in mind, who could sit on the throne with the appearance or the resemblance of Yahweh's glory? Yahshua, that is exactly right. That's, that's exactly what came to my mind. I believe that this is likely the, 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 the Son setting upon this throne in the likeness or resemblance, again, of Yahweh's glory, of his Shekinah. So as we know, the sun 
was with the Father before the universe began. I sort of touched on this in the first message, I believe. In fact, Joshua in John chapter 17, verse 5, said there that, that um, he had glory with the Father before the world was. You know, so many people, there are some people don't believe in the preexistence. And I, you know, I have a hard time understanding how they, how they would interpret things of that nature. Because Joshua says there in John chapter 17, verse 5, that he was with the Father, that he had glory with the Father before the world was, before the world existed. So we know that Joshua was with the Father at this point. And also, just as a quick side note, I think I referred to this in my last message, but a very powerful uh, proverb that uh, or most of you probably know, but Proverbs 30, verse 4, it uh, talks about creation. And then at the very end of that, it says, what is his name? Referring to the Father, it says, what is his son's name? Have you ever considered that? And, and have you ever asked, you know, if, if, if the son did not exist in the old, why would, even, why would it mention what is his son's name if you read it? Now, whether this was a son or the actual presence of Yahweh's glory, we, we find here the uh, pinnacle of this vision. It sort of builds. It starts again with a cherubim, and, and then it moves on to this uh, ophanim. And then after the ophanim, again, we find this layer of the, 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 inge- or the majest- majestic, and that is where, again, this throne sits and where the resemblance or the likeness of Yahweh's glory dwells. So one of the um, com- commonalities or common denominators here is that the uh, four living creatures and, and the ophanim or the, these uh, wills, that they are subservient to the being on the throne. Describes this being how? It describes this being as the appearance of what? It says the appearance of fire. The appearance of fire. Now, up until this point, I've, I've never really, again, considered this strong connection between fire, the appearance of fire, and the angelic realm, especially when we're speaking about uh, cherubim or, or this man, image of a man that sits on this throne. You know, an example of this sort of uh, brings a whole new perspective is what we find in Exodus 3. When Moses came to the, the uh, bush that burned with fire, you know, we see there that the bush was on fire, it says, but the bush did not burn. So it was a likeness of a fire. And again, we see this within, with, when Yahweh's presence with his glory, this, this brightness, this manifestation, and, and again, this, this imagery of fire. You know, as we see here, there are things about the angelic realm that we will never know in our present life. I don't believe we will ever fully comprehend or understand these things. But I think we see enough to realize just how incredible and amazing it is. And again, I think when we do see it, when we do fully comprehend it, because I, I think we will fully comprehend it in the resurrection. The Bible talks about us looking through a dark glass. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, there's just certain things that we don't quite understand, and, and that that's okay. We don't have to understand everything today. But we know that there's something amazing awaiting. There's something amazing that we're going to be able to experience as, 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 as spirit beings that we don't quite understand now. I'm going to close with Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, beginning there in verse 2. And uh, this passage is uh, labeled within the Restoration Study Bible, the throne room in heaven, the throne room in heaven. And um, I believe that there's a connection between the throne room in heaven and the vision we see here in Ezekiel 1. Matter of fact, in, we had a Bible study on Ezekiel many, many, many months ago. And, uh, of course, Ezekiel is a large book, so it took us... I don't know, maybe three-quarters of a year to uh, review this on a weekly uh, basis. And uh, someone made the observation that it seemed to them that the Ezekiel 1 prophecy or a vision is almost a portable version of what we see here in Revelation chapter 4, and perhaps it is. So Revelation chapter 4, and uh, for a chapter uh, 2 through 11, or verses 2 through 11, it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. 
And he that said was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around. You know, we saw this in Ezekiel, if you remember. The throne and the sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And one of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Of course, that kind of reminds you of what? The seven lamps. What other imagery do we find? The menorah, the seven lamps. You know, matter of fact, just as a quick side note, Scripture indicates that the menorah is a likeness of what already existed within heaven, within Yahweh's realm. Did, did, who knew that? I mean, did, did you understand that? Did, what we see so often in the physical is, is, is there's a connection in the spiritual. And that's true, I believe, of the tabernacle. Verse uh, 6, it says, And before the throne was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes. So what does that remind you of, full of eyes? Does that sound familiar? The the ophanim, full of eyes. Full of eyes. Before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face of a man. And the fourth beast had like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had had each of them six wings round about him. And they were full of eyes within, and the rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Yahweh El Shaddai, Yahweh Almighty Yahweh, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor, And thanks to him that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever. And four living elders fell down before him and sat on the throne and worshiped him that lives forever and ever. And that cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art holy, O Yahweh, worthy, O Yahweh, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created." You know, just as a side note, we find something very, very similar. It says that, that this uh, being was worthy. Remember, you know what? Let's turn there for just a moment, and then we'll come back to this. So, in Revelation, or well, well, Revelation, we find the scroll. And uh, remember that no angel could open this. And it says, who is worthy? Who is worthy? And, of course, we know that Yahshua is worthy, and he was able to open the scroll. And we see the same verbiage, same imagery here in this passage. Now, there are several similarities we find here between Ezekiel 1 and and, uh, Revelation 4. We see here that John of Patmos, just like um, Ezekiel, says that he was in, in the spirit. What does that mean, in the spirit? Well, in the spirit simply means that this was a vision. This was a vision that John of Patmos was receiving, just like Ezekiel of old. Now, what does he see in this vision? Where he saw a throne in heaven, and he saw a being like a man sitting upon the throne. And I believe, again, that this is the same throne and the same man, the same being, that we saw in Ezekiel 1. So, as we've already talked about, this is likely the, the son, the Messiah, in a glorified state, or, or perhaps maybe the actual presence of Yahweh, but I, I believe it's probably the son. Now, we also see a few other things here, including precious stones, lightnings, and thunders. You know, the thunders and lightnings reminds me of what we see in the Old Testament when, uh, when Israel was on Mount Sinai. I want to read that account. Exodus 19, verse 16, it says this, And when it came to pass on the third day in the morning, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. You know, this is just an, another common theme we find within Scripture that we often find um, lightnings and thunders, or thunders and lightnings in connection with Yahweh's presence, with his divine presence. What else do we see here? We also see 24 elders. It says that they were clothed in, a, in white, and they had crowns upon their heads. 
Now, as we note in the RSP, the 24 elders are here are likely angelic beings. Some say that they're human beings. We believe that they're angelic beings, that they're probably some sort of celestial council. Now, what is the purpose of these beings? What role do these beings serve? Where it says here in verse 10 that they are to worship the one who sits on the throne day and night, forever. You see, there are certain beings out there that their sole purpose is to recognize and praise and give glory to Almighty Yahweh. That is, that is their main purpose. And the, I believe the crowns that set upon these, the heads of these beings, that they symbolize the majesty, not of the beings, but of Yahweh, because they throw their crowns. They throw their crowns to, the, to this being on the throne. So again, their, their, their reasoning, their, their purpose is to bring glory to Almighty Yahweh. Now we also see here, before the throne, there's a great sea of glass with four creatures around the throne. You know, it says that these creatures are full of eyes in front and behind. And it seems to me that this, again, is connected with the cherubim, with the living creatures, and the ophanim that we saw in Ezekiel 1. So much of the same imagery is, corresponds perfectly between the two passages that the Ophanim, matter of fact, as we saw in Ezekiel 1, there was a connection, right, between the Ophanim and the Cherubim, or the four living creatures, that within the Ophanim was the spirit of the Cherubim. That's what it says. So we see a connection between the Ophanim and the Cherubim, or between the living creatures and these wills within wills. And I believe that we see the imagery here. So Ezekiel 1, in many ways, seems to be an a vision of what we find here in Revelation 4, this throne room in heaven. You know, many people, though, they say these things, again, are only symbolic, that, you know, we're looking into things too much if, if we say that this is a literal. I say that we're often too quick to dismiss the literal and, and uh, say that it's simply symbolic, and I think oftentimes we do this when we don't understand something or something seems too hard to believe. You know, all I would say to that is that this, you know, number one, Yahweh's ways are, are greater than our ways, right? Yahweh's ways are greater than our ways, and there are certain things he understands that we will never understand, even in a glorified state. But the imagery we find here is astonishing, and it's astonishing for a reason. Now, now consider this for just a moment. Why is it so astonishing? Why is it so far beyond maybe what we can envision? This is Yahweh's throne room, if it's not spectacular, how could, how could this possibly, possibly bring honor to Almighty Yahweh? I think it has to be spectacular. I think it has to be um, just, just phenomenal, beyond our imagination. And I believe that it is. If we could, again, see this, just like Ezekiel, we would be just, uh, you know, we, we would be, um, it'd be dreadful, as Scripture says, because it would be so far beyond our understanding and, and our expectation so whether we're talking about the cherubim, the seraphim, the ophanim, and whatever other eames we find within Scripture, the um, one truth I believe we find is that this spiritual realm, this angelic realm that we find is, is really remarkable. And um, again, I think if we could see it, and uh, going back to even the uh, prophecy we saw with Elisha in the, in the previous message, you know, again, that the Syrian army was, was around Elijah, and... Um, he could see the hosts of heaven. Uh, his servant couldn't, but he could see it. And it was um, horses and chariots of fire all around. And, and again, I just think it would be such a phenomenal thing to be able to see the angelic world. And, and I believe that the angelic world is, is around us. I, I believe it is here. Um, Elder Don used to believe that it was on another dimension, but, but it was within. And I, I remember, um, of course, I don't believe that there's necessarily trains in heaven. But uh, I remember Elder Don speaking about how how uh, an angelic train could be going through the room and we would never know it. It's on, a, on another dimension. But no, nonetheless, I do believe that the angelic realm is, is, is here and uh, amongst us. And uh, we don't see it. We can't see it. Someday we will see it. And, and, and that's going to be a great day. You know, a great day when we can witness, when we can understand, when we, uh, when we see firsthand the amazing and the awesome things that, that awaits the called and chosen. You know, and someday, assuming we're found worthy, we're going to see this. We're going to have this opportunity. 
to witness these things, to witness the, again, the, these cherubim, the seraphim, the ophanim, the, the resemblance or the likeness of Yahweh's presence and all these other great and awesome angelic presence and beings we find within the word. Or I hope that this message has been a blessing to you. I hope it's given you maybe some insight that you did not have before. Maybe it's sparked your interest to look into these matters just a little bit more because it's not a salvational issue whether we understand Ezekiel 1 and whether we can envision Ezekiel 1 or whether we can envision what we find in Revelation 4 with the throne room in heaven. But I really do think it shows how awesome Yahweh is. It shows how awesome his creation is. It shows him that there is something just phenomenal, remarkable beyond what we understand in this physical world, in this physical universe that we live in. That again, right now, I believe that there are, there are angelic beings around us, great angelic beings. And, you know, especially during the feast, you know, they're probably right, right here rejoicing with us, and we never know it. And um, it's just a phenomenal thing. And um, I believe that um, when we see this, we, when we have the opportunity to witness this firsthand, assuming we're found worthy, uh, we're just going to be astonished. And uh, so I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And again, I pray that you're having a, a blessed feast, a good feast. And uh, it is such a uh, blessing to have you here. May Yahweh bless you.